Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. If you could hide to collab podcast, my name is Daniel, and this is Clive. Hello, everyone. Daniel, man, there's so much to go through today, just with these two chapters. It, it we we do only have two chapters today. We're on Second Nephi chapter one and Second Nephi chapter two. There's loads to go through, and I know you've been looking forward for us to go through this chapter. Second Nephi chapter two is definitely one of my favorites in the Book of Mormon. There's a lot in there, a lot to get through, a lot to study, and it's so easy to get sidetracked with a lot of things as well. So let's try and keep it as um, as focused on the chapter as we can, I think. And I think when we hear, if you want to know any doctrine, you can check the Book of Mormon. And I think Second Nephi in total is really what they're talking about. So much of the doctrine is in Second Nephi. There's bits and pieces of the rest scattered right throughout. But I think the most concentrated doctrinal points are in second nephi well let me start off with a quote i this time i did something a little bit different so i've, I've got one here i went to google and i just typed in why read the book of mormon and wikipedia came up first and there was there was something else well this was the third thing down was from the church's website and it was a quote from 774 or something it was a while ago in an enzyme and it says the book of mormon represents the keystone of this latter day work the stone that supports all the other stones in the arch if the keystone is removed the arch crumbles with a keystone of a testimony of the book of mormon firmly in place the assurance comes that the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints is god's church that joseph smith was a prophet that modern revelation guides the church and that God is today a God of miracles as in ancient times. I, th- I really like the, the term crumbles. We hear keystone all the time. But what if the keystone isn't there? What if the Book of Mormon isn't there? That word crumbles. Everything crumbles down around it. Great in terms of what we're looking at today and, and of course what we're looking at for the rest of the year. Perfect. So where are we kicking off? Well, we're... In the second book of Nephi now, I mean, there's, and there's a lot to it, you know, this is, Lehi is, you know, he's handing over the reins to his sons, and this is his final testimonies. These are the last things that he wants to teach his sons right before he dies. I'll set the scene. So we've just come off looking at the end of first Nephi, and Nephi and Lehi are essentially teaching the family. They're going through and they're teaching uh, they're almost giving a conference to the whole family. They're reading from the, the plates that they take from Laban. And when we start with Second Nephi chapter 1, there's a couple of things that we can just pick up on here of what is actually going on. So verse 1, And now it came to pass that after I, Nephi, had made an end of teaching my brethren, our father Lehi also spoke many things unto them and rehearsed unto them how great things the Lord had done for them in bringing them out of the land of Jerusalem. Lehi, so Nephi essentially says, I'm, I've spoken. Now our father Lehi, he also speaks to them. And now I'm going to record what my father tells them. And what does Lehi do? The first thing Lehi does is reminds them of the blessings that they've already received. He reminds them from the time, so bringing them out of the land of Jerusalem. So he's saying way back when, 10 years, 11 years, 12 years ago, we left Jerusalem and look where we are now. We're in the promised land. What a glorious, glorious place to be. He says, I know that Jerusalem has been destroyed and the Lord has blessed us with where we are now. It's great that he says that, I think, 
because it's not I saw on the news Jerusalem's been destroyed, so we were right. He, you know, they don't have that option back then. It's I know Jerusalem is destroyed, and I know that the Lord has guided us. You know, it's it's right. great. It's a, it's such a strong testimony from Lehi to say that. And in difference from First Nephi, where they're talking to the family, they're now talking to the brothers Lehi's sons separately. So it's really, really simple in chapter 2 because Lehi says, I'm now speaking to Jacob. In chapter 1, you've got to look a little bit closer and you can tell who he's talking to because he he says, And he spake unto them concerning their rebellions upon the waters. So who's he talking to? Of course, he's talking to Laman and Lemuel. He's now reminding them. He's trying to preach to them. He's seen that if they're not careful, they are going to go astray. They are going to essentially become the Lamanites who will battle the Nephites. And Lehi, in this whole chapter, you can just feel how hard he's trying to persuade his sons to not go down the route that they've been foretold that that will happen. All right, so if we move forward, we've got now, if we go to verse 6, and I've got got quite a few highlighted on this page. I know you've got a lot highlighted in 2 Nephi. So I might take the reins a little bit here and and take you through a couple of things that that I found. Wherefore I, Lehi, this is verse 6, Wherefore I, Lehi, prophesy according to the workings of the Spirit which is in me, that there shall none come into this land, save they shall be brought by the hand of the Lord. Lehi saying to his sons, we're so blessed to come here and don't worry about anyone else coming. If anyone else comes here, it's the Lord that's brought them here. So it's through absolute divine intervention that a specific people will come. And he goes on to tell them why. Well, he says that the land is consecrated and he's saying that it's a land of, it's going to be a land of liberty. And he also says something really, really important. The land will never be brought down into captivity. And that is religious captivity. So America was never going to be under state rule of a religion like what ended up happening to Europe, of course. America will always have religious freedom. And that's the most important point of how the church was able to come about. Yeah, I think it's interesting with what you're saying there because it seems like, you know, this is obviously important for their day that that is the case, but it's still preparing for Joseph Smith to open up the last dispensation. So I feel like it, you know, the whole Joseph Smith story starts way before Joseph Smith is even born, way before this, even to the beginning of the Book of Mormon, where the Americas have been consecrated for that particular purpose. And it all really right. stems from here. I think that's really great. I think as well, if, if we think about it, that America was we, America's hidden from the world. And I, I don't know my American history super well, but I'm going to say 1300s, 1400s, America was discovered. Apologies to all the American listeners, but you know, I know when Australia was discovered. Yeah, I believe so it a was long late, time. late 1400s. Yeah, I believe it was something around that late 1400s. Okay. So yeah, a long, long time. It was it was kept secret from other nations for almost a thousand years from when this particular chapter occurred. Like I said before, Lehi is, he's, the, the first several chapters of Second Nephi is Lehi 
teaching his sons. In in 2 Nephi chapter 1, all the way up to verse 12, Lehi is teaching about the land. So from about verse 6 or something like that, I think it is. Yeah, verse 6. He basically then gets up to 12 and he's talking about the land. And then he stops. He stops dead in his tracks. And you can almost see him or feel him turn to his sons and just absolutely go them. So he says here in, in verse 13, Oh, that ye would awake, awake from a deep sleep, yea, even from the sleep of hell, and shake off the awful chains by which ye are bound, which are the chains which bind the children of men, that they are carried away captive down to the eternal gulf of misery and woe. Strong language. Strong, strong, so strong. Um, I, I can almost picture him just talking, 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 and then he just goes, whack. And then he, and, and he doesn't stop there. Awake and arise from the dust and hear the words of a trembling parent whose limbs ye must soon lay down in the cold and silent grave from whence no traveler can return. A few more days and I will go all the way of the earth. He's saying, I'm about to die. I'm gone. My, my mortal time is finished. I need you to listen to me. And I've got here, I've got, got it written that, you know, that chapter one is Lehi's plea to his sons. You know, it's a, it's a father pleading with his sons to stay in the realm of what they've been taught. You know, if you think about Laman and Lemuel, they've seen angels, they've repented, they've seen angels, they repented. And he's, he's almost given this like one last crack to get them over the line and to try and keep them on the straight and narrow. Yeah, well, that's right. You know, he says, in a few more days, I'm dying. I'm going to die. This is what I want you to know before I do. Everything that Lehi knows, this is what he wants his sons to know, Laman Lemuel specifically. Yeah, it is. It's it's pretty full on. I like how then in, ver in verse 15, he almost, he tells them what he wants to happen, or he, he, he kind of pulls them into line. He tells them he wants them to listen. And then he also gives his credentials. He says, but behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. So he first of all says to them, awake from the sleep, even from the sleep of hell and shake off the chains. Then he says, the Lord have revealed unto my soul that he has been redeemed from hell. And then he says, I have beheld his glory and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. Lehi tells them that he's seen God and he knows what he's talking about is correct. He knows, hey, I'm very qualified to tell you this. And can you just trust me? Just believe me. Mend the error of your ways. Like he's begging them. After he dies, like Bruce R. McConkie said, when Bruce R. McConkie said he had that last testimony in, in general conference, and he said when he dies, he's going to know no better then than he knows now about Christ. And Lehi's saying the same thing. I'm going to die, but I already know Christ lives, and I already... I've already been redeemed. Like, I'm going to be okay. Can you guys please think about your actions? Okay, so moving on, there's a few other bits and pieces. I've picked up a couple of couple of little pieces of wording that I really liked, or that I thought was very interesting at least, and that's in verse 21. And if you kind of look almost halfway down, he's still having a go at his sons. All of this next page, you know, right from 13 all the way on, Verse 21, as we go down, he says, Arise from the dust, my sons, and be men. I love that idea that 
he's almost telling them to grow up, like be men. I, th- I think of the things that they put Nephi and Lehi through because they were just simply angry, you know, immature boys. That they, they were angry that Nephi told them they should stop you know, partying on the boat, so they tied him up. They're angry with Nephi because he wants to follow what his father says and when they just want to make their own decisions. You know, they're not men. They're not grown-up men. They are little boys that are full of jealousy, full of rage. You know, that's the way I read it. You know, grow up, get out of this state of my brother thinks he's better than me and I don't like that. Grow up, be men. And he uses the term dust heaps. Like... He talks about dust in this one that I've just just read out. And then he says, and rise from the dust again in verse 23. He says in verse 22, um, that you may not be cursed with sore cursings. He's not so stoked about the choices they're making. And he, you almost feel like he's pulling out all the stops to just try to, he's just, just shaking them, you know, verbally shaking them to tell them to, to wake up. I mean, it's like you said before, he's seen what they could potentially come if they don't follow. So it's really his last hurrah going, I don't want that. You know, I'll, I'll say, you know, nice things, but then I'll also, you know, sort of be bold and tell you to grow up because I really don't want you to turn out the way that I saw in a vision that you could potentially turn out. And then at the end of this chapter, he's drawing to a close and he says, and now my son Laman and also Lemuel and Sam, and also my sons who are the sons of Ishmael. Behold, if ye will hearken unto the voice of Nephi, ye shall not perish. And if ye will hearken unto him, I leave you, I leave unto you a blessing, yea, even my first blessing. He's talking about the priesthood, I think. Because if you have a look at the footnote, because he talks about the first blessing as well in 29. Yeah. And one of them is Doctrine and Covenants 68, and it's 17 and for the firstborn holds the right of the priesthood over this priesthood and the keys of authority of the same so i think he's talking about the priesthood you will not hearken unto him i will take away my first blessing yeah even my blessing and it shall rest upon you you will not have the priesthood in your life if you can't follow nephi you will not have the priesthood in your life For the next, the last part of chapter one, I'll just wrap this up here. This is quite interesting. We, we, we now get a reminder that Zoram is still hanging out with this family. He turns and he just leaves a couple of last little comments to Zoram. And now Zoram, I speak unto you, behold, thou art the servant of Laban. Nevertheless, thou has been brought out of the land of Jerusalem. And he goes on to tell him he's a true friend of Nephi forever. And he's been faithful and he shall be blessed with his seed. So Zoram is is just poking around in the background, but this says to me that he's clearly a good guy and he's very much team Nephi as opposed to team, you know, Laman and Lemuel and, and the son, some of the sons of Ishmael that enjoy the mayhem. You know, Lehi is not leaving anyone out. Lehi is the leader of the gospel and he's he's having a final He's almost having a personal priesthood interview. The account that we've got here is of all of the males. He's having a personal priesthood interview with all of the males. You know, I I just think I just just thought of something literally just then. I wonder if does does Lehi give all of his sons the priesthood? And I, I just we just had that little conversation just then. So I'm just thinking out loud because he says here, if you will not hearken unto him. I take away my first blessing. 
So does that mean that they already had the priesthood? If we're saying the first blessing is the priesthood, which the footnotes as to Doctrine and Covenants, and that what it, that's what it says, does that mean that they had the priesthood, the sons had the priesthood? Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. If, he's, if he is having a personal priesthood interview with each of them, I guess yeah. this is where he's sitting down with them saying, do you believe, you know, do you believe in God? Do you believe everything we've done? Do you believe that Nephi is a true prophet? And I guess that's to the point where they Almost go... Almost like a temple recommended interview. <laughs> yeah. And if they say yes, then he says, you know, the, you know, then I'll leave you with the, the blessing that you've been given. And I suppose if they say no, then he says, well, then you're not worthy of the priesthood. You know, perhaps. You know, maybe that's mm. what he's saying. It, it's interesting. It's an interesting thought. I mean, Adam did it, but right before he died, you know, he gathered his right. sons together and he gave them blessings and he spoke to them. You know, I don't see why Lehi wouldn't do the same thing. If you will not hearken, so this is verse 29, if anyone's reading along at home, but if ye will not hearken unto him, I take away my first blessing. So they must have it for him to take it away. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I thought about that before. Yeah. In, very interesting. Chap, chapter two now, Clive, I, I think you're very much an expert on this chapter. I know now that he essentially turns to Jacob, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, Jacob will later learn does become an incredible prophet. You know, he the plates get handed down to him and he gets to write them. Okay, so so where do you want to start with in chapter two? I've got a couple of things highlighted in, in verse two, a bit of verse three, verse four. Not not lot. I've seen your scriptures. Yeah, well, where do you actually want to start with? I mean, the beginning. If we, if we just look straight at the beginning, you know, he speaks with Jacob and he says that he's been through a lot of things, you know, because of, well, he says the rudeness of his brethren. And we know how tough it was for them to go through the wilderness you know how scary it must have been for them on the boat he was quite young when all this you know happened and so he's been through a lot and 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 lehi even says thou knowest the greatness of god and he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain so you've been through a lot but the experiences you've been through will be for your gain as you grow up how how old so how old do you think he might be i mean they were in the wilderness eight years, couple of, couple of moments in Bountiful. I mean, over when water, was he born? Promised land. You know, a couple of years into the journey. So it was at least eight-ish, maybe. Yeah. And now it's between 588 and 570. So there's another 15. 18 years in between. 18 years? 588 and 570 that's 18 years that's that is but do you reckon it's so do you reckon he could be that do you reckon he's in his 20s i don't know well i mean is he speaking to him in 588 and then he dies in 570 no because it, well it's well it's all it's kind of all dated that way because of the destruction of jerusalem right that's right that's yeah kind of where the dating comes from yeah okay so he's young okay i mean because we don't know exactly how long they've been on the promised land for right now we know that they're there and then there's yeah. a lot of revelations that come in when they get there. So, I mean, he's he's young. He's between 10 and 20, you know, I would say. But I don't know. He's between 10 and 40. <laughs> <laughs> he's or, or young. AKA, AKA, we don't know. If we don't know. We don't know. We know he's young. We know he's been through a lot. And we know that the things that he has gone through is for his benefit. And that's much like Joseph Smith in... Section 22, I've got this written here, compared Doctrine and Covenants 122, verse 7. And that's when Joseph's in Liberty Jail. And he's being told the same thing, that, you know, Christ has 
crisis descended below everything. And essentially Joseph grows massively because of what he's gone through. And we know that when he came out of Liberty Jail, he was he was slightly more polished um, than when he went in. If you endure it well, you'll be exalted on high, basically. And that's sort of the idea that Lehi is getting across. You know, the, right. the things you've gone through will be for your gain. They'll, they'll, the experiences you got, and you know, Jacob does become a great leader. No, no, I, I totally agree. In, in a, in a future lesson, I'm quickly moving my, I'm, I'm quickly changing pages here because I've got, I've got it written here that there is what I've, what I've described as the first ever general conference in the Promised Land, and Nephi asks Jacob to give that talk, to give that speech, but without enough notice in my brain, I can't find it. <laughs> we'll look at that later but we'll that's how it. much nephi certainly thought of jacob respected jacob yeah and because he because he says in that chapter that my brothers asked me essentially to give this what about in three clive what, what about in three i've only got a couple of things highlighted here but what about in three jake where lehi says to jacob wherefore i know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy redeemer now i read that a couple times and then i highlighted it and i read it a couple times more wherefore i know that thou art redeemed ja- we 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 just then have just talked about how amazing jacob was lehi doesn't say wherefore thou art redeemed because they've you've done just the most amazing things ever and you you're gonna you're gonna go on to um have some leadership role and that you'll you'll be an absolute juggernaut for the gospel says the reason you're going to be redeemed is because of the righteousness of the redeemer yeah it's great it's great that you bring that up actually because it's such a small part of that one verse but it's a huge lesson we are saved because of the saving grace of the redeemer is essentially what he's saying what you're saying and not because we're great people he's a great person but that's not the reason he's saved he's being saved because of the redeemer it's a great so, point. I could say, wherefore, Clive, I know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy redeemer. Yeah, nothing I did. And that's that that's 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 everyone. Yeah. I mean he hmm. goes on to say later that salvation is free. You know, so not only salvation, are we re- yes, I've got that. Not only are we redeemed from the redeemer, you know, the things the atonement, but salvation is free. Salvation is a gift and it wasn't free, but because of the redeemer it's now free to us. Right. I mean, we've just got to grasp it, really. You know, uh, you hear a lot of religions like born-again Christians say you you accept Jesus Christ into your life and you're saved. It's that simple. And I suppose, in a sense, that is definitely part of it. Once you accept and you put Jesus Christ into your life, you are saved. You have that salvation. The salvation is free. But then, on top of that, you know, faith without works is dead, being alone. You know, it's not as simple as... You're saved now. Go do whatever you want. No, I, yeah, no. I I like what you said. You, I think you said before you, it's a simple part, but with so much meaning because of because of the righteousness of thy redeemer. So that's all of us. That's anyone listening. That's everyone. And then the salvation that comes with it is free. It's a gift. The salvation is a gift from Christ who paid the price already, so that the salvation is a gift to us from Him. Yep. What about at the start of four? where there's an implication here made that Jacob has seen Christ. And, and and this is Lehi telling him. So Jacob's obviously shared this with Lehi. And thou hast beheld in thy youth his glory, wherefore thou art blessed 
even as they unto whom he shall minister in the flesh. So Jacob is as blessed as the people who actually get to see Christ in his flesh. He's seen Christ in his youth. Jacob's an incredible person. That is incredible. You know, to be that young, to have all these things and to see Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah, you're right. Even the footnotes say it, you know, Jesus Christ appearance. Yeah. Maybe he was a similar age to, um, he could have been a similar age to Joseph Smith. I mean, I'm completely making that up, but it's it's sort of a similar time frame. If our math is right, you know, you're right. You know? If our math is right, which it never, ever is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I've exhausted my knowledge almost of chapter two. Where are we going from here? Well, the very next verse, if we could. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like verse five. It talks about how essentially men know good from evil. And I'm not talking about drinking alcohol is bad. You know, right. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we're born with an inherent of, oh, wow, no, that, you know, the word of wisdom is true. We're born with the knowledge of good and bad. We know that being a good person is the right thing to be. Being a a horrible person rude or you know just a terrible person we know automatically know that that's bad like instinctively Instinctively. like we're born yeah well that's what he says you know men are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil and the law is given unto men you know so we know that we know that we're born that way and um, that's when he talks about you know wherefore redemption cometh in through the holy messiah and he is full of grace and truth so we're born we know good good and bad we know the difference between good and bad. And sometimes we do bad, you know, but we know the right way. And redemption cometh through the Holy Messiah. And so again, he's just reiterating the importance of the atonement there, which is going to be a theme all the way through the Book of Mormon. You know, it is the greatest thing that's ever happened. So it's always going to be something that we bring up. So then, you know, he goes on in verse 7 that Jesus Christ will offer himself as a sacrificial lamb to answer the ends of the law, to answer the ends of, you know, good versus evil, good and bad. And it's really for us to accept that. So I think it's, yeah, he's really pushing his point here. The atonement is really what is going to save us. And I think it's a really important lesson to learn. So I'm going to skip ahead here, if you don't mind. I just, there's a lot to go through and definitely read it, study it. But I'm just going to skip ahead to verse 11. And it's actually going to be verse 11 through 13. And I really, really like this because he's pointing out here a lot of people, you know, that you talk, well, you talk to a lot of people and they, you know, if God's real, why do bad things happen? And it really lays it out here that there must be an opposition in all things. And verse 11, you know, it says that there's wickedness, there's holiness, there's misery, but there's also good and bad. And he really breaks it down in verse 13, which I'd like to read. He says, okay. And if ye say there is no law, ye shall say there is no sin. But if there's no sin, then there's no righteousness. If there's no righteousness, there's no happiness. If there's no righteousness nor happiness, there's no punishment or misery. And if these things are not, there is no God. And if there is no God, we are not, neither the earth, for there could be no creation of things. That's great. I mean, there has to be one and the other there has to be misery, so there's happiness. If there's no law and no, there's no sin, and all of these things are really a domino effect. If there isn't one and the other, th- there is no God, essentially. So if there is no law, so it starts off with, what was the first one? Oh, if there's no law, 
So if there's no law, it, it, there's nothing. There's not. There's no creation. There's no God. There's no earth. There's no nothing. They're without without the first thing being a law nothing can exist well i know you were talking about this the other day when we were talking because in my mind i always used to think that satan's plan was that we were all robots and had to follow the the right way right in in terms of in satan's world he wasn't saying you you he was saying of course you have to follow me but actually what he was saying was there's no consequences for your actions do whatever you like it can be good, it can be no good, but there will just be no consequence. There's going to be, you can do whatever you like. That's really what the essence of his plan was, a, a inconsequential law. And it really breaks it down. They're saying, well, that's impossible because if that were the case, there'd be no righteousness. You know, it really, yeah, it really lays it out there. All things must have vanished away. Well, because there's no God, there's no creator. There's no creation. If there's no law. It all stems from the one. And if we do it backwards, there's no God, there's no happiness, there's no happiness, there's no righteousness. If there's no righteousness, there's it's because there's no law. So really, this is showing people that some sometimes in the church, people get caught up or hung up on the laws being restrictive or bound that we need we need these laws so then let's let's move on now let's move on to verse 15 now there's a lot in verse 13 and 14 still but we, well let's save that we'll talk about that at another stage you know we don't okay. really have much time to break down each verse as much as i'd like to so i want to move into verse 15 and even though i've said i don't want to you know we can't really break down each verse i have actually broke this verse down <laughs> so <laughs> well i'm ready with my highlighter and i've got a pen so straight away he says, bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man. So, I mean, what is God's eternal purpose? God's eternal purpose is for us to become God, to become God's. For his eternal purpose is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Exactly, exactly. And he even says that later on, yeah, in verse 25. You know, Romans says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if not children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Right. Yes, we are to be like God because we are God's children. That is his purpose. He created us so that we can be like him. That is God's purpose. So then I'm going to skip to the next bit where it says, After he created our first parents and the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and didn't find all things which are created, it must needs be there's an opposition, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet and the other the bitter. So the, the tree of life is something that we've had a discussion about a few times that right. it says here that there's there was an opposition in all things, even though there was forbidden fruit and in opposition to that, the tree of life, one being sweet and the other bitter. And a lot of the times when it talks about the tree of life, it references back to Lehi's vision and Nephi's vision when they partake of the fruit and they say it's, you know, it's delicious fruit and it's glorious fruit. So if yeah. we were to take that as that is the tree of life, then that is the sweet one and the forbidden fruit is the bitter one. So is the for, the forbidden fruit is not growing on the tree of life because the tree of life has the greatest fruit and you can just pick whatever you like to eat off it and it's the sweetest and the greatest fruit to ever exist. That's right. So, in so you're saying there's two two trees? I'm saying there's two trees. I'm not. Yeah, I know we've had this discussion a few times. Yep. I'm saying there's two trees. I'm saying there's one that is forbidden 
because God forbids them to partake of that fruit, uh, which is bitter. Then there's another tree, which they were never forbidden to eat, the tree of life, which is sweet. And I've got a reference here from Josephus. Love Josephus. Love Josephus. If anyone's unaware of Josephus, he was born in the year 37 AD and he died in 100 AD. So he was born not long after Jesus died. You know, he, was a, he was an incredible historian, record keeper, all-round good guy. Yeah, it's really great. It's really great. He's got some really good books that are definitely worth reading. I'm just going to read part of the version of the Bible that he sort of looked at and, 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 and wrote down. So he says here, Moses also says that God planted a paradise in the east, flourishing with all sorts of trees, and that amongst them was the tree of life, and another of knowledge, whereby was to be known that was good and evil. Two, two separate things. Two separate trees. One is good, one is evil. One brings forth life and is sweet. The other one, I mean, it, it's not really, you know, people seem to think that Adam and Eve did something very, very wicked partaking of the fruit. But it's not really the case because the, the thing... No, it was the, it was the design. Of course, it was the design for us to be born. That's right. So Joseph Fielding Smith says, Now this is the way I interpret that. The Lord said to Adam, Here is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you want to stay here, then you cannot eat of the fruit. If you want to stay here, then I forbid you to eat it. But you may act for yourself, and you may eat it if you want. And if you eat it, you will die. Now, in my personal opinion, which I try and avoid a lot on this podcast, but I do have a a few opinions. It's always been part of the plan for Adam and Eve, or the first ever parents on the earth, to partake of the fruit. I think that it was such a bad thing because they didn't choose for themselves to partake of the fruit. It was because Satan convinced them to partake of the fruit. That's right. that's the way I see it. Because we always have this choice, like we spoke about earlier. We're born with this good and bad. You know, we always have this good and bad. Now, if we look at verse 16, it says, yep. Wherefore the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. Wherefore man could not act for himself, save that he was enticed by one or the other. Now, Therefore, man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by one of them. Yep. Right. So I think the, the way I interpret that is we don't need Satan to be tempted because there's always, like it says before, there's opposition in all things. There's good and there's bad. So we, and, we're, and we're born inherently knowing that there's, that there's both sides. That there's a good way and there's a bad way. Now... Before the world began, there was no devil tempting Satan to go against God's plan. This was a decision. He was a free agent. He made this decision You're talking about Lucifer now. I am talking about Lucifer now. He made this decision himself to rebel against God. And it says there in verse 16 that the Lord gave unto man that he should act for himself. You know, it doesn't say there that the Lord gave to man the devil so that they could be enticed one way or the other. There's script- man, man has free agency to, to choose. And so you're right, The Lucifer didn't, he wasn't tapped on the shoulder by, and you know, having an, a devil on one shoulder, an angel on the other shoulder saying, do this, do this. 
he chose to just say, no, this is, this is the plan. This is the plan that I reckon we should do. He exactly. wasn't tempted by anyone else. That's exactly right. And, you know, there's scriptures all about that say this same thing. If, if you look at Doctrine and Covenants section 58, um, in verse 26. Yeah, which, which verse? In verse 26 and 27, it says, For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things, for he that is compelled in all things the same is a slothful and not a wise servant, wherefore he receiveth no reward. Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good course and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. We don't need a devil and an angel on our shoulders. We know good and bad. It, right. it also says it later in Second Nephi in verse 29, uh, sort of halfway through. Um, well, I'll just read the whole thing. It says, And not choose eternal death according to the will of the flesh and evil which is therein, which giveth the spirit of the devil power to captivate and bring mm. you down to hell that he must reign over you in his own kingdom. It says right there. So there is evil within. So there is good in within. There is bad within. It's up to us to make this decision. And and the devil is trying to tap into the evil, evil therein and weird. We've got that constant battle to keep it down. Exactly, exactly. You know, he even says it again in, in Dr. Covenant section 29, it came to pass that Adam being tempted of the devil. For behold, the devil was before Adam, for he rebelled against me, saying, Give me thine honor, which is my power. And also a third part of the host of heaven turns away because of their agency. So, right. you know, I... I makes sense. I mean, it makes, makes great sense. I love how... I love, yeah, I love the way you're coming across with that. Um, and those couple of those examples, it makes you yeah really try to read this a little bit more. Yeah, no, that, so that's anyway, that's 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 me. That's what I, you know, that's how I take the scriptures. All of it, all of the scriptures. <laughs> Just full stop. No more podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna skip again, and we'll talk about. There is a little bit more doctrine here before we go too far. I talked about at the start. I think Lehi himself is learning and teaching. And in here in 17, it's, I think he says here, and, oh, yes, and I, and so top of 17, and I, Lehi, according to the things which I have read, so Lehi's reading and learning, which is great, he's essentially just doing what we're doing. He's learning and reading as well, though he's much, I would suggest he's a bit more knowledgeable than us, must needs suppose that an angel of God, according to that which is written, had fallen from heaven, wherefore he became a devil, Having sought, he became a devil, is the bit that I wanted to emphasize. Having sought that which was evil before God. Again, just just doctrine. Like, just doctrine on doctrine on doctrine. It's, 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 there's great stories in the Book of Mormon, but this is actual pure doctrine that we can read about that you just don't get. You don't get that in the King James Bible, you know, so many other. In fact, in, in the Bible, there's so fewer mentions to the devil where in second nephi and right throughout the book of mormon we're being taught the whole picture we're being taught the whole story we're being taught how to armor ourselves and what the devil is tactically trying to do um so just great you know i've got 18 highlighted as well but there's just there's so much in here it talks about adam and eve and the fruit it's just doctrine on doctrine there is a lot a lot yeah it is it is fascinating and it is so easy to to miss because it's small little bits here and there and i'm sure the way lehi talked to jacob was in a lot more detail but yeah there's just a lot and i really like what you said here where i lehi according to things which i have read 
you know, Lehi did speak with God, but he still takes it upon himself to read and study the scriptures. Yeah, he doesn't just, yeah, he's always self-improving. That's right. One other thing specifically I want to yep. discuss with you and, and get your opinion on. So it, it's right at the beginning of verse 21. And it says, "Okay, this is talking about Adam and Eve were now kicked out of the Garden of Eden and they had children. And it says, and the days of the children of men were prolonged according to the will of God that they might repent while in the flesh. What, what is it talking about there? Like what, the days of the children of men were prolonged. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. I mean, there was no death yet. So yeah. why, do, why do you think it specifically talks about how the days of the children of men were prolonged? Well, I'd, I guess I would. my first in- instinct is to say that they were old, that their days were prolonged in terms of the years that they were around. There was not many... There, were, yeah, was, there was not many of them and they had to, obviously they were replenishing the earth. So that's required for to be around for a while, but that they might repent while in the flesh. Uh, so they need to be around a long time to repent while in the flesh. Is that to learn more? Is that what that means to study more and to become closer to Christ? Yeah, I suppose that's how I take it as, I mean, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, it says, I, the Lord, said, my spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he always is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. But then after the flood, we notice that the ages, you know, dramatically drop. You know, in Psalms, you know, it says that the days of our years are three score years and ten. Now, we know the score is 20 years, so three score years, that's 70 years. Three score years and 10 is 70. And he also says that four score years for the strong people, so 80, between 70 and 80. And yeah, I think you're right. You know, I think it's easy for us to learn the gospel because we have prophets, we have scriptures, we have other people's mistakes that we can learn from. And I think in the days of Adam, there wasn't scriptures because the scriptures, I mean, they basically start from Adam. So they didn't have that opportunity to look back on history and learn. They had to learn everything as it came. And so they, their time needed to be extended on earth so that they can learn and they can grow so they can understand right and wrong and then they can repent. That's how I take that scripture. But it's again, it's a small part of a verse that that can be easily skipped over because there's so much to learn in chapter chapter two. Yeah, that is an interesting. I might look into that a little bit more myself, actually. Hmm. So That's amazing. Um, what else you got? Well, the, there's is a, there more. There's. I mean, there's a lot more. But is there any more that you wanted to cover in this episode? Not too much more. You know, there's there's a lot that we'll probably end up skipping because we've gone for a long time now. Verse twenty, and I, I might just read it. It says, "Wherefore men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them that are expedient unto man, and they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great Mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil." This is, again, a major part of the plan. This is our agency. You know, God isn't saying there, man must follow me. He's saying there that man has the opportunity to, to choose life, spiritual life, or choose yep. spiritual death. 
and I think it's a really strong verse to uh, for Lehi to really emphasize that you are free to choose. You can choose to follow Jesus Christ, the great mediator, or you can choose to follow the devil. It is your choice. That is our agency. Great, excellent, yeah, great verse to wrap up on. I think that's, yeah, that's enormous. That's well. I hope everyone's really been able to take a little bit more in from our episode today. We've certainly had a great time going through a couple of these chapters again. It's clear why the curriculum of the church was to just put two chapters in and allow everyone those full time those full seven days in in between different lesson weeks to really get your head around it and if anyone's got other things other verses that mean a lot to them feel free to write into us we'd love to hear about your experiences and how these couple of chapters have affected you have you got a have you got a quote to end us on clive have you got one i do actually it's from doctrine and covenants and okay. it's Doctrine well, Covenants. I'm going to find it. Okay. It's Doctrine and Covenants section 76, and it's verse 22. And it's another one of those simple verses, yet there's so much power to it. And I believe this is Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon, and they've just come back from a conference about, you know, the scriptures. And now, after the many testimonies which have been given of him, This is the testimony, last of all, which we give of him, that he lives. Thank you for tuning in. If you could hi to Colob podcast, we look forward to you joining us again in the future. And we hope that you're getting something out of this. I know we we certainly are. And we're enjoying our study of Come Follow Me this year. Thank you all.